though he was none of us alive when that was put there. That's right, said another. Well, it stands pretty high, said Mr. Thompson. I dare say a sea mark was on it some time back. Ah, yes, Mr. Betts agreed. I have heard they could see it from the boats, but whatever there was, it's felt a bit this long time. Good job, too, said a third. Twan't a lucky mark, by what the old man used to say. But not lucky for the fishing, I mean to say. Why ever not, said Thompson. Well, I never see it myself, was the answer. But they had some funny ideas, what I mean, peculiar, them old chaps, and I shouldn't wonder but what they made away with it themselves. It was impossible to get anything clearer than this. The company, never very voluble, fell silent, and when next someone spoke it was of village affairs and crops, and Mr. Betts was the speaker. Not every day did Thompson consult his health by taking a country walk. One very fine afternoon found him busily writing at three o'clock. Then he stretched himself and rose, and walked out of his room into the passage. Facing him was another room, then the stairhead, then two more rooms, one looking out to the back and the other to the south. At the south end of the passage was a window, to which he went, considering to himself that it was rather a shame to waste such a fine afternoon. However, work was paramount just at the moment. He thought he would just take five minutes off and go back to it. And those five minutes he would employ, the Betzes could not possibly object, to looking at the other rooms in the passage, which he had never seen. Nobody at all, it seemed, was indoors. Probably as it was market day, they were all gone to the town, except perhaps a maid in the bar. Very still the house was, and the sun shone really hot. Early flies buzzed in the window panes. So he explored. The room facing his was undistinguished except for an old print of Barry St. Edmund's. The two next to him on his side of the passage were gay and clean, with one window apiece, whereas his had two. Remained the southwest room, opposite to the last which he had entered. This was locked. But Thompson was in a mood of quite indefensible curiosity, and feeling confident that there could be no damaging secrets in a place so easily got at, he proceeded to fetch the key of his own room, and when that did not answer, to collect the keys of the other three. One of them fitted, and he opened the door. The room had two windows looking south and west, so it was as bright and the sun as hot upon it as it could be. Here there was no carpet but bare boards. No pictures, no washing-stand, only a bed in the farther corner. An iron bed with mattress and bolster, covered with a bluish check counterpane. As featureless a room as you can well imagine. And yet, there was something that made Thompson close the door very quickly and yet quietly behind him, and lean against the window-sill in the passage, actually quivering all over. It was this that under the counterpane someone lay, not only lay, but stirred. That it was someone and not something was certain, because the shape of the head was unmistakable on the bolster. And yet it was all covered. And no one lies with covered head, but a dead person. And this was not dead, not truly dead, because it heaved and shivered. If he had seen these things in dusk or by the light of a flickering candle, Thompson could have comforted himself and talked of fancy. On this bright day, that was impossible. What was to be done? 
First, lock the door at all costs. Very gingerly, he approached it, and bending down, listened, holding his breath. Perhaps there might be a sound of heavy breathing and a prosaic explanation. There was absolute silence. But, as with a rather tremulous hand, he put the key into its hole and turned it. It rattled, and on the instant a stumbling padded tread was heard coming towards the door. Thompson fled like a rabbit to his room and locked himself in. Futile enough, he knew it was. Would doors and locks be any obstacle to what he suspected? But it was all he could think of at the moment. And, in fact, nothing happened. Only there was a time of acute suspense, followed by a misery of doubt as to what to do. The impulse, of course, was to slip away as soon as possible from a house which contained such an inmate. But only the day before he had said he should be staying for at least a week more. Now, if he changed plans, could he avoid the suspicion?